Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories with me, Lawrence Prestige. Yes, and we have a really interesting guest for you um, in this new episode of 2021. I hope you guys are doing okay during this uh, lockdown. But, you know, this person um, had lots of opinions to share, especially on a sort of COVID-19 situation and how... Uh, I guess we're handling it as a country and the government. And uh, he's a very opinionated person. And it's Alistair Campbell who's going to be my guest today. Um, it was really great talking to Alistair. Um, we talked about a lot. You know, we covered the stuff that you'd probably expect to want to talk to him about, you know, in terms of COVID, Brexit, uh, the elections, um, both in the US and the UK. We spoke all about that. But then, you know, I kind of got the sense Alistair was a bit fed up with talking politics. So we did talk about other things as well in terms of uh, his writing career and some of his books that he's um, written. And some uh, some football talk as well. He's a Burnley fan, but we won't hold that against him. Um, yeah, and, you know, we talked about a couple other things, especially um, a topic that you probably know now is quite close to me is mental health. Because Alistair's someone that's written a book and spoken openly about his mental health problems and battles that he's faced. Um, and it was really interesting to know how he's been doing in terms of his battles in the past and how he's been coping with them over this year. So without further ado, here's my chat with Alistair Campbell. So, Alistair, I guess the first question I want to ask is, um, how, how uh, confident are you with Burnley this season? Mm, tricky one, that. Um, <laughs> my son, Rory, works in football. He's got his own company, lot, does a lot of football data analytics. And he says our figures, our stats are quite good in terms of how we're playing. Um, and we did have a lot of injuries at the start of the season. Um, so, but you know, the truth is it's, we there's a little bit of a gap opening up down the bottom with there's four or five clubs that are looking like we might be there at the end in the mix. Um, and there's all this stuff going off the field about whether the club's going to get sold and if so, who to, and you know, whether the manager's happy and all that stuff. So it's, it's not been a perfect start to the season, but, um, uh, I'm always, I'm always hopeful. No, I'm not always hopeful. <laughs> but I, th- I think I think we'll st- I think we'll be all right. I think, we'll- yeah, yeah. Well, like, well, I'm a Newcastle fan, so I can kind of relate <laughs> relate to the, your your thoughts. Yeah, I think you're I think you're going to be down yeah. in the mix. Yeah, well, especially it's, it's a very toxic um, club at the minute. I think you know with, with the whole Mike Ashley situation and trying to sell the club, there's all that kind of noise in the background. It's sort of it's a takeover going to happen. Steve Bruce getting a lot of sticks, so. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of glad that we're kind of managing to grab a few wins here and there at the minute. But yeah, it's just whether we yeah. can kind of keep that. No, I, I, I have, I have a, um, a Brendan Foster's a very good mate of mine. Oh yeah, and uh, he's a he's a Newcastle season ticket holder, and uh, we have a lot of banter about that because I, this thing about Newcastle being a <laughs> big club. 
yeah, yeah anyway. I, know, I know what you mean um well have you missed going to the oh, got, got the highest away end in the in the country yeah though. oh yeah yeah when you're when you're climbing up there bloody hell yeah, have you um have you missed going to the football like you know because you go off now and again yeah a lot yeah a lot. Do you know it's really interesting. I haven't I haven't missed. I thought at the start I was missing football, but I'm actually missing Burnley, and I'm also it's not just I'm missing Burnley. I'm missing the whole thing, the whole kind of atmosphere and people and rituals and all that stuff. Um, I actually have been to games because I do. I sometimes do the commentary for our website, for the club website. So I'm going to Arsenal next week, for example. Um, but it's just it's just not the same. It really isn't the same. I mean, I think for the players, it's interesting. Some of the players, you know, I'm quite friendly with a lot of our players. And some of them hate it, not having fans. Some of them are kind of, you know, fairly chilled about it. Because it's just, you know, they, they're like when they're playing, some of them just really like to be in the zone. It's almost like they don't want the distraction of the noise and the crowd and the... And all that. So, but I've, yeah, I've really missed it. Really missed it. But I've not been watching much on telly. I've watched all of our games, uh, but not much else. I didn't even know the Champions League was on the other night. I was channel up and just popped up. And there was Liverpool. I but. found it hard to watch. It's just it, it's it's difficult to follow about the fans. It's kind of got that testimonial feel to it, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about? It? Do you think it's okay with some fans coming back into the stadiums at the minute? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. That, yeah, I do. Um, and interestingly enough, I mean, I, you know, you can get, I mean, I know this from when we, when we were in the lower league, you know, that when we were down like, in the fourth division and stuff, you can get good atmosphere going. We go this, if you, if you ever go to a non-league game, you know, you get good atmosphere. You can get good atmosphere with a small crowd. But 2,000 in a 60,000-seater stadium is going to be quite bleak, I think. Yeah, but man, 2,000 fans at Old Trafford. <laughs> it's, it's not going to make much of it, you know, when yeah. you've got um, the capacity. I don't know if they could kind of do a percentage of the stadium might work a little bit better. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah you know, Tur- Turf Moor's a, a difficult... I've been there once before. It's a difficult place to, to go for as an away supporter. You, was it the Monday? I think it was a Monday... Well, yeah, well, you know, I think it was a, a couple of years ago we lost 1-0 to Burnley at home. It's a good, it's a good away end, though. It's got a good... Uh, it's very old-fashioned, I know that, but it's got good noise. It's got good... The noise bounces off the roof. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, how have you been doing this year, anyway, this this 2020 weird year? Obviously, you've got your book that's come out, but how's it sort of been the whole COVID experience for you? Uh, quite difficult, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's... it's a lot. I'm, not, I'm not moaning. I'm, I'm really not. But, because you know, a lot of people have had a lot worse and a lot of people have died. Um, but... Yeah, the, the a lot of the f- kind of fundamentals in my life have changed, you know, because, I, I mean, I, I used to, you know, I was travelling an awful lot. You know, a lot of my work and is abroad, and we, you know, Fiona and I travel quite a lot as well. We go to Europe a lot. Um, so that's kind of very much been, you know, I had, some, I had some fantastic trips in the diary. I had Nashville. I've never been to Nashville before. I was booked to do a speech in Nashville. I had a trip to Australia I was meant to be doing. I had a trip to Ethiopia I was meant to be doing. Um, I do a lot in the Balkans, and I've not been there now for over a year. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, that's been strange. And then I've not minded being, I mean, this is the top of the house. I've got an office at the top of the house. And, uh, you know, I've, it's actually been quite nice that, I mean, Fiona and I have been together 40 years now, and actually we've gotten really well most of the time, which I don't think most couples can say. I, I mean, I, Picking up a lot of a lot of stress signals from different different parts of the world, 
Um, but no, we've gotten really well. We've got this, our dog, which she's only two, but she's now just absolutely convinced that we live here 24 hours a day. We never go away and she's always with us. And I think that's quite, you know, so that's, been, that's all been quite nice. And then, but just that sort of sense of, you know, I look, looking at my diary sometimes and when I see, I mean, you know, no offence intended, but when it's Zoom meeting, Teams meeting, Zoom, I think, oh, no, I'm just had enough of this. And then just not going out and seeing real people in real real situations. I found that... Did you have to take part in any Zoom quizzes? Um, <laughs> oh, I'm not into that. I'm really not into that. The novelty no, wall really wore off quickly, I think, with the Zoom quizzes. No, I'm not into that. I'll tell you what, and then the other thing with lockdown that was really about, it's come back now, but... I, last year, before the um, COVID, I really got into cold water swimming, and um, so and we got the Lido just around the corner, Parliament Hill, sixty meter long, which is fantastic, fantastic facility. And last year, I did my first full winter, uh, like every every day I was at home, I, I went there. Um, and so the two the two periods when the Lido was shut, that was I found that quite difficult actually, because it was like. That has so become part of my rhythm, 7am, ran to the Lido. Um, but that's come back. I feel better for that. I've definitely been up and down on the mental health front oh, yeah. through the, the lockdown. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's normal, you know, whether it's just that would have happened anyway with me because I'm always up and down, uh, or whether it's been exacerbated, um, hard yeah. to tell. No, well, no, I've been exactly the same. I had a really bad bout of depression in 2016, and I went for a few years now where I feel like I've been doing okay. But when it was the first lockdown... And everything that I kind of was using to keep myself going, whether it be the gym, whether it be seeing friends, whether it be going to this place or that place, or, you know, the, the positive things I used to keep my mental health good. When everything was closed at the same time and I was kind of left alone in my flat with my thoughts, that's, yeah. where, I, that's where I noticed it creeping back again. So, no, I, I think this year in general has been um, definitely an up and down kind of, kind of place. Mm. Yeah, mm. so... No, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think it's, uh, I had, but the first lockdown, I, I actually really enjoyed the first few weeks. I think it was all kind of quite interesting and um, actually just sort of, uh, I almost felt released a little bit, but not having to travel, not having to do too much. You know, somebody's put it brilliant because, you know, what's fantastic is you can just say no all the time now, which is it's quite nice. But then I, then I definitely had a dip. And then I had a really bad manic spell. I was like really wild, you know, I was quite wild for a few days. And then I went, you know, right down to the bottom again. And then having the book, I mean, the, the, it's, it was interesting, that whole, because I did the book, the depression book, a while back. Uh, we had a publication day set for May. And I'm very kind of, you know, when I've got something like that, I just want to get it yeah. done kind of move on to the next thing and of course so then we had this discussion with the publisher should we delay it shouldn't we I didn't want to delay it they were very they thought we should because the shops weren't open there were no events and all that so we delayed it was probably the right decision in the end but we delayed it till September <clears throat> and then of course so I'm sort of struck lucky a bit in that you know the shops were open and all that but hardly any events um interestingly enough the you know that that I felt at the time I needed to get it out before the whole COVID thing took over everything. But actually, I think the mental health, interest in mental health, uh, desire to understand mental illness, um, focus on depression and so forth. I think, the, you know, obviously I want to promote my own book in a way, but I mean, I do actually think that the need for stuff like that is now 
you know, greater than ever. I think people, a lot of people are struggling. The, you know, what I wanted to do with the book was actually share with people, one, what it's like getting depression and mind where, where I think it comes from, but also actually how can we help ourselves and how can we help other people? No, absolutely. And the book, um, Living Better, so that was, that was all written pre-COVID. So that was, you know, yeah, so it was yeah. just... Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I did an extra chapter during the first lockdown about mm-hmm. COVID and it's the, it's the last, it's just like, a, it was it was really sort of the mental health implications of COVID. But yeah, no, the book was done. The book was done before yeah, COVID. Yes, because yeah. I think especially for men, it's a lot harder to talk about, isn't it? Like, I, I think slowly, you know, men are starting to be able to sort of open up about, about it, but it's still a weird thing. And it's just this whole idea of what they say, toxic masculinity in terms of expressing how, how, how you yeah. feel. Because, you know, I've known, so, you know, I'm 31 years old and I've known, um, five people that have suddenly taken their own lives, but four of them were men. And interestingly enough, the four guys that did it, it just happened like that. There was no warning signs, no sort of, it just, everyone was shocked that, that it happened and no one would have thought that they were going through anything. There was no inkling or, or nothing. And and, mm. and I feel like it's just that big part for guys, it is keeping that almost, that suffocating feeling that you're keeping this feeling inside that you feel like you can't share. Yeah, I, I, I think there is a lot of that. Although, you know, the only, the recent suicide that I've kind of been aware of was Tory MP Owen Patterson, whose wife took her own life. And, you know, he said that they, they just had, you know, they had no idea. They had no idea that it was coming. It was like she seemed absolutely fine. Um, so I don't think it's, I agree with you that it's, you know, with the statistics bear this out, that more men, take their own lives than women and I think it's generally true as well that women are much more open about feelings emotions and so forth than men um but I think women struggle sometimes too as well and I I also I've never I've never I've never worried about being open about it it's really quite strange I mean I've just never it's just never never bothered me I think it might have helped having helped my older brother had schizophrenia and that was kind of quite an introduction to mental illness so then you know, when mine came along, it was like, well, it's, you know, it wasn't as bad. Um, and also, I'd, I'd always been very proud of my brother, the way he kind of managed it and dealt with it. Um, but I'd never, ever, 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 never felt I've had to hide anything. It's weird. It. It's something like, I, I feel quite open about talking about it, say, to you or people that I wouldn't know too well. But like, if it came to sort of being with my mates watching the football, I would feel very, I wouldn't like to talk about it in front of my closest mates. I'm not sure why that is, because they, they're the people that yeah. know you the best and feel you'd accept it more. But... Yeah, yeah. I think I think what that's about. I mean, I don't think I would necessarily. If I was with a group, if there was one there that I was particularly close to, I might just say, "Oh, I'm really, you know, really struggling today. Really struggling." Um, the thing with me, though, I don't know if it's the same with you. The thing with me, people can notice with me. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not very good at hiding it. Um, you know, and I, I also find, I, I always find there's there's something behind the eyes. Oh yeah, the lights go out. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. I, I see, I see it in other people and I see it in myself that there's just something not there. And the other thing with me, my voice goes very weak. Literally, my phys- the physical voice goes weak. Um, so my family can always tell. People who know me well can tell. Um, and I just tend to say, like, I'm really struggling. And, you know, I had a quite interesting, <laughs> quite interesting thing out recently. I've bumped into a, somebody we know reasonably well who knows that I get depression, who's actually read the book. And um, but but she's you know not not a close friend as it were but somebody that we know quite well, but she is a very good friend of a close friend of ours. And anyway, I bumped into her just out walking out, 
around and about here. And I was really not in a good shape. And, and I, I was wearing this, I've got this Warrington Wolves trading hoodie, <laughs> right? And as I, as I saw her coming towards me, I just kind of slowly pulled up the hood and kind of brought it right over the head. I just didn't want to see it. It wasn't personal. I just didn't want to speak to anybody. Anyway, she saw me and came over and uh, sort of chatted to me. I just wasn't engaging at all. I was just, you know. Anyway, she phoned up this mutual friend of ours. Oh, I couldn't believe he was so rude. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, when I don't want to talk, I don't want yeah, to talk. that's it. And it's it's almost like you need, it's that, you just don't have that energy to do it. You just can't bring yourself to doing it. And some, if you know, if you, yeah, and I think also, the, you know, you know, Sure, you, uh, you, you. I'm sure you get this. That when the energy thing is so important, so when you don't have energy and you have to do something that requires energy, it always. I always feel like I'm a. You know, when I'm when I'm trying to engage when I don't want to, I feel it's like you're driving a car and you 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 you're going up. You're either going uphill and you can't get into a low gear, or you're going on the flat and you can't get into a high gear. You just you know, and and when you stop. The exhaustion is just so kind of you know overwhelming. So you're trying to save the energy. Exactly, yeah. And it's um, you know, yeah. Friends and family will say to me, "They probably don't understand." I know they mean well. I know I've got a dog, so I'll be like, you know, oh, you know, if you're not feeling too great, say go, have, yeah, go walk the dog, walk it off. You know, you're feeling. And it's like I wish, I wish it was that simple where you could just kind of walk yeah. it off. Although sometimes, sometimes, like, sometimes yeah, stuff yeah, like sometimes that it can help. Yeah. You know, I, I I find I do find the dog. Our dog's amazing. She definitely, she definitely works it out when I'm not feeling great. Definitely. She just knows and she sort of she's got this thing of she puts her she puts her head on my leg when I'm sitting, say, just you know, sitting on the sofa or sitting in a chair. She'll just sort of put her head on my leg. And she just sort of, it's just it's just a strange thing. She definitely knows uh, I'm not when I'm not feeling great. So no, things like I think things like that, you know, the I found in the last few days since the um uh, since the Lido has opened again, I, I've definitely improved uh, up here uh, with the, with this cold water swimming bag. So I think those things can help. But I, where I agree with you, it doesn't help when people tell yeah, you what helps. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, did you find writing quite helpful? Was that quite therapeutic? Yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. always do. Yeah. 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 Cheaper than cheaper than therapy writing. <laughs> yeah. Although I do, I mean, you see in the book, I do a lot of writing as part of. the the guy that I see, he makes me write a lot just for him. Oh, okay. I write about themes. Of, I write, you know, whether it's, there was a period when he used to get me to write down my dreams as soon as I had them. Um, that was quite interesting. And, there's, and he, he asked me sometimes to write about themes. Um, you know, I did one, I think I've, I've published part of it in the, in the book that he asked me once to do this essay on humility. Um, Another one on forgiveness, stuff like that, you know. So I write quite a lot for that. But yeah, I write tons. I mean, I write every day loads of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I know you stay well informed of what's going on in the news and stuff. But I've, I've kind of, it's got to the stage where I've had to stop watching the news because I felt like the more I watch the news, the more I realise that this is having a really big impact on my mental health. You'd be, you'd be amazed how little I watch oh, really? the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in the, in the, I've got, and I'll give you a little motto for when you're not feeling great. Read books, not newspapers. Listen to music, not the news. And that's what I do. If if I'm not feeling great, I still want to read, but I don't read newspapers. And in the morning, like in the morning now, I mean, Fiona's much more, she's really into the whole kind of, I'm not saying I'm not into COVID. I am, in, you know, interested in it, obviously. But 
I'm just not, at the start I was, I was watching all the briefings, I was reading everything, I was looking it up, I was searching stuff, but now I just think, I don't trust the government, I think they talk a lot of crap, uh, they just get me angry, so what's the point of that? So very, uh, maybe one day a week I'll listen to the Today programme, uh, I, I, I watch Channel 4 News if I'm in, uh, but that is about it. And we don't get papers anymore, which I feel bad about in a way, apart from the New European, because I write for it, and Fiona um, still writes for The Guardian. But I just find there's there's too much. There's too much of it. And it's too, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite active on social media. I don't think I miss much. I never miss much in terms of big stuff. Right. You find, you find out what you um, find out on Twitter, and you, you can find it all out. You know? Yeah. And the other thing I'm doing at the moment, I'm doing this, um, I did German at university and I lost a lot of it. So I'm, <clears throat> I'm doing this um, advanced German course with the Goethe Institute, um, which I'm absolutely loving. So I'm listening to a lot of German podcasts and news bulletins and stuff. That's brilliant. Moment. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I've just translated the book into German with my ah, tutor. nice. Yeah, so that'd be, well, hopefully you'll be able to go and to Germany <clears throat> and do a little book tour with it at some point. Yeah, yeah that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be yeah. really good. Yeah, no, I, I am avoiding it. As much as um, the news is all right, so I used to, you know, as much as I used to like watching Kay Burley on Sky News, I, I can't bring myself to doing it much anymore. Because you, you, it starts with, you have 15 minutes of COVID, then they just, just, just give you an update how Brexit's doing. Then you've got oh, Donald Trump saying, what now? Okay. Then you find out about this divide with the Black Lives Matter movement and the, the anger there is, and, the, you know, you know, rightly so, the anger there. But the divide that, that things are causing, you just, you watch the news for a half hour, you're like, wow, I feel really rubbish right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, um, no, it's, it's glad to, you know, good to know um, that you're doing okay. I mean, I mean, you say that, you know, with stuff with the government as well, do you feel like the way it's all been handled, I suppose even with this tier system, do you think it's been handled? How, I mean, how do you think it's been handled in general, I suppose? Oh, I think it's been shocking. I think it's been truly shocking. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I've, I thought at the start, it was such a, you know, I really did want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I, and I, and I think I did for quite a while, but now, I mean, you, you know, they just talk such crap. I mean, like, you know, even this thing about the vaccine, which, like, just let it speak for itself. It's, you know, it's clearly a really positive development. But then the, the try to dress it up as we wouldn't have got it without Brexit, that's a lie. Uh, you know, we've beaten the rest of the world. Well, that's not, it's not actually strictly true. It's been made in, you know... American companies working out of Belgium and you're thinking and then and then and then with the Brexit stuff going on alongside it I just think no I think we're in a real mess and I, and I think part of the problem is having a, a government led by somebody like Johnson who you know they address the world as they want it to be you know as it is um and the, look I'm not pretending that any of this stuff is easy but I don't know I, I I can't really point to anything that I think they've handled really really well I really can't. And I and I hate doing that sort of, you know, wouldn't have happened in my day, but there's an awful lot that goes on day after day after day. But you just think, how is one, how are they doing that? Two, how are they getting away with that? You know, I mean, some of the stuff with these COVID deals, I mean, if there if there isn't at the end of it, you know, there's I actually think we're talking about pretty major league corruption going on here. Um that the, the and if I think back, you know. To our, our time, when an SNP MP stands up and claims that the Labour government has sort of, you know, 
uh, cash for peerages. We've taken money for peerages, right? And the police are all over it, right? Holding bollocks, but the police are all over it. Literally interviewing prime ministers about, you know, da 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 da. This lot, you know, multi multi million pound. I mean, Matt Hancock's mate in the pub. I mean, <laughs> getting some sort of big contract. It's just like, no, there's stuff going on there that I think really does think. Yeah. It's like it's like the Wizard um, of Oz. Don't look behind well, the curtain. The, <laughs> like the Wizard hey? of Oz. Don't look behind the curtain. What's really going on? <laughs> well, I think you need to look behind the behind the curtain. I mean, that's you know, particularly in the modern age. And the trouble is, you know. You mentioned Trump. Um, I think that we end up with politicians like Trump and Johnson when we give up on politics. But that's really, really, really dangerous. You know, when you get really, what I think both of them, bad people in really senior positions in important countries, that is so bad for the world. Do you think with, like, Brexit and Trump, the way it happened... Was because people weren't necessarily. I don't want to say they weren't. They didn't know what they were voting for, but it was just. It was so two radical different. They were both very different, and both people. People that perhaps weren't satisfied with how the country in the UK and how the, the America was run at the time for whatever reason. They thought, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's, the, the change. It's, um, you know, it's something that's just different, and perhaps it's appealing because it's different, although it's the unknown. You know. Well, there was a guy, there was a thing on Channel 4 News last night. Um, yeah, it was. And they were talking to some people who'd voted Tory for the first time. Um, and one of them actually said that, you know, well, I liked Boris Johnson because he always seemed so pos- positive and he was very humorous. Right. And then he says, but I'm looking at him now and thinking, I don't really want a comedian. So, I mean, I think the thing about people not knowing what they voted for, when it comes to Brexit, I mean, that is beyond dispute. Right. Because and when I say that, they knew what they were voting for in terms of the promises that were being made. Right. But they didn't. If they I am absolutely convinced if they'd known that what has transpired since in the last four years. Well, that's a whole Olympiad. And and it's still not done. um, If they'd known, I don't. There's no way that millions of people who voted for it. There's no way that still have voted for it. Um, and the reason why the Brexit people were so desperate to stop a second referendum, because I think they know they're lost. Um, and then with Trump, same thing, lots of false promises, but make people feel good, make America great again. I'm going to bring back the coal mines. No, you're not. I'm going to, you know, you lost your job because of globalisation or because of Obama. I'm going to make sure you get that job back. No, you're not. Um, even, you know, Johnson now, he sort of, Day after day, it's another big promise that's probably not going to get met. And so I think that, you know, there's, look, I'm not pretending that, you know, with, with, with the Brexit thing, there were, there were lots of things that were real issues that people weren't happy with. But funny enough, I'm just doing it at the moment. I'm editing volume eight in my diaries, and it covers the period when Cameron called the referendum. So it's not hindsight on my part. I was said, right, we'll go. Why are you doing this? You don't need to do this. There's no massive pressure from it other than the political pressure within your own party and UKIP. Deal with that on the merits. Take them on. Have the argument. But, you know, I'll keep them quiet by giving them a referendum. Well, look where that's ended. You know? Absolute disaster for the country. I mean, mean, what do you think that that Boris is is, his true... Johnson. Boris Johnson. Johnson. His name is not Boris. (laughs) Johnson. Mr. Johnson. (laughs) Prime Minister Johnson. 
Yeah, I don't mind Mr. Johnson, but this the Boris thing is part yeah. of it. You know, it's all just yeah. an act. I mean, what do you think his stance of Brexit really was? Because wasn't he originally a Remainer? I've got yeah. no idea, honestly. There's no point asking me what he thinks. <laughs> Uh, but what I do know is that he is he's a bad bloke. He's a bad guy who only really thinks about himself. Um, I'm not saying that he doesn't, you know, I'm not saying he's not sort of patriotic, wants Britain to do well, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, when he was a journalist, and I knew him well when he was a journalist, when, you know, we were sort of rivals in the political media. And then when I was working with Number 10, he was a journalist sort of, you know, throwing the odds brick and what have you. Um, but it's always been a game. It's a game. Life is a game for him. Um, and the game in journalism was to become an editor and to write columns and to get well-connected. The game in politics was to become prime minister. Uh, Brexit was a tool in that. Brexit was the pawn. The country's the pawn. And so that's what I think of him. I think he's a complete charlatan. And I think the other thing that's happened, you know, on his watch is this normalisation of lying. I don't know what we do about that. Yeah, so you were talking about um, sort of Boris using Brexit as a pawn, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. sorry, I keep calling him Boris, am I? Sorry, apologies. <laughs> I mean, what, where do you think in the election it went so wrong for Labour? Because it seemed prior to Boris, Boris Johnson become Mr Johnson, <laughs> becoming in power... Uh, it seemed that Labour were you know, on onto a good thing. I really thought, like, Labour, when, when Theresa May was in power, I really thought if there's going to be an election, Labour are really going to do this. And that, you know, but at some point, I don't know if it was their stance, they were kind of on the fence with the Brexit thing. No one, no one, I mean, I don't. No, I, I mean, I, honest, I don't, honestly don't think this is too complicated. I think that, um, look, I, do, I just think the country decided about Jeremy Corbyn the moment he became leader, he's not going to be prime minister. I think they just sometimes I think you you can you sense what a con- the country's thinking and look he got close mm. against Theresa May because back then the general view was the conventional wisdom was there's no way that Labour can win and I think I think Labour did well I think he fought a much better campaign than people thought he would I think there were sort of Labour policies that people thought you know taken standalone like that like that like that. Um, but I don't think people thought he was going to win. And then I think that when he was up against uh, Johnson, um, there was then then people thought he could win. And I think that really worked against Labour. Because um, and, and I, I felt that you know right from the word go that the country just wasn't going to wasn't going to have him. I just felt that so strongly, and I. And I You've got to listen when you're out and about. You, you hear the same, when you hear the same thing. You know, I've talked about doing my diaries now. It's like, I'm afraid that once, when I like Ed Miliband, I think he's a good guy, but I think the country decided. Day one, virtually. Wrong guy. You know, and I, and I think it's so hard, it's so hard to shift that. Um, Anyway, I'm sick to death talking about Yeah, that. okay. Well, I think, I think Keir Starmer <laughs> would do a lot, would do a lot, um, better anyway i've got faith in him um i, I mean talk, talk about more positive things really um captain tom you know that was a brilliant news story has it been nice seeing though although it's been a really weird year for us a really difficult year um has it been nice to kind of see those you know 
because you know have you been able to appreciate things that for me like the NHS is something that I love but I've really really appreciated this year just to know that the work they're doing and you hear stories about Captain Tom as are there things and football for general just going to a football game are there things that you perhaps that you felt like you've took for granted that wow like I've really sort of missed yeah um, I think I've taken for granted I'm, I'm with you on the, on the national health service I think it's an amazing mm. um, institution and I, and I think it has kind of you know done well um and yeah the, the, the any big dry any big crisis though always throws up kind of you know interesting and quirky and unexpected things um and captain tom's definitely one of them i think marcus rashford's another one i think you know the way oh, that he, yeah. he's um you know 22 years of age uh so easy in that kind of world just to think right i've made it uh, I'll think about my next car, my next watch, my next girlfriend, my next this, my next that, or I'll just keep my head down and be a great footballer. Um, but no, he got engaged and he got involved, and he's done it in a way that is, you know, he's really made a difference. So I think that's been that's been um, impressive. And then I think that fellow, my daughter was saying last night that uh, I hadn't even followed this story, but uh, some. Some guy in America who was skateboard listening to Fleetwood Mac. All right. Did you follow this I've story? I've heard this story. No, no, I've not. Made and it. he's just and he's drinking cranberry juice and he's just on a skateboard and he's filming himself. And the film's gone. The film was just a short film, right? Of him sort of sync lip syncing to Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And um and it's just gone absolutely massive, right? Or TikTok or one of those things. And and what it's done is it's like there's just been this massive interest in Fleetwood Mac amongst younger people born of this, right? And then Mick Fleetwood, she was showing, Grace was showing me last night, Mick Fleetwood then did one himself on a skateboard, <laughs> drinking cranberry juice, listening to one of his own, one of his own songs, you know, looking quite old, grey-haired. <laughs> so stuff like that's been good. Um, yeah. And I think you always get that. You always get that in... Uh, uh, in, a, in any kind of crisis period, you're always going to get little stories that come up and cheer mm. people up. And yeah, Captain Tom was Captain Tom was brilliant. Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, you said you said listen to music, don't listen to the news. What kind of music do you sort of chill to? Um, I listen. To, well, I play the bagpipes, and I, and I listen. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know that. yeah, yeah. I play, I play the bagpipes, and I listen to bagpipe music quite a lot as well. Um, what do I listen to? I listen to. I mean, at the moment, I am mainly listening to German stuff, just because oh, well, yeah, well, I'm yeah. on it, right? But generally, what are my kind of, you know, Elvis, I listen to a lot of Elvis, uh, Jack Brel, do you know Jack Brel, Belgian singer? Uh, yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. A lot of Motown. Oh, massive Motown. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of Motown. Um, I, I'm not massive on classical music. Fiona is, and so I listen to quite a lot of that just because she has it on. Yeah. sort of quite a Radio 3 fan um, and she loves opera so that's sometimes on I'm not I'm not big on it although I'm a very good friend of a, one of the world's best opera singers at the moment an Albanian lady called uh, Manila Yaho she's absolutely brilliant so we'll go and see her when she's in town um, and then what else do I listen to I love ABBA ABBA I love ABBA yeah um, uh, what am I listening to recently I listened to another French singer called France Gall who died Last year, so I've sort of got back into her since she died. Bob Marley, love Bob Marley. Bob Marley, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I have, I have, um, when I'm, when I'm, 
I mean, obviously, I wouldn't listen to music when I'm out cycling, obviously, because, but if I did, if I did, I'd do a bit of, you know, I would do a lot of shuffle. A lot of shuffle, yeah. Yeah, no, I have my, when I'm driving, I tend to have my Motown playlist on. Yeah. Um, a bit of Smokey Robinson. Can't, right. Can't beat it, can you? No, Motown, there's, there's um, oh, I'll tell you the other thing I did um, when I was travelling. I went to Australia, uh, Emirates, have got this thing. Maybe other airlines have got it, but Emirates have got this thing. Every number one ever. Uh, I went through, so I started right at the start. and I got up to about 1980 by the time I got off the plane. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so you saw that you had like the evolution of music as you were. On yeah, the, it is. Right? It's really, it's, it's, it's interesting, and, it, and it's also it's it's extraordinary how many, um, you know, number one hits from singers you just you, you sort of have a vague memory of them, but actually mm. just gone, you know. Yeah. Whereas others, I mean, there was one period where it was like Cliff Richard week after week after week, Cliff Richard in the shadows week after week after week after week. <laughs> And then you yeah. have other people, you know, then you have the Beatles and Elvis and yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I've, my family's a massive, a massive Beatle mania family. Um, really? I mean, well, yeah, I, yeah, massive. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think what their first number one was. Was it from Me to You or something? Oh, I'm trying I to can't think. Remember. I, I can't remember. I'll tell you what. I've got a mate, Paul Fletcher, who used to play for Burnley, and he and yeah. I we see each other a lot. We wrote, we actually wrote a novel together about football. Well, Saturday, bloody Saturday. He's a top bloke. He is, I'm sure he won't mind me telling it, and I don't care if he does or he doesn't, but he has got a Beatles tattoo on his left buttock. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, None of my family have gone that far. And his house is absolutely stuffed with Beatles memorabilia. Crazy. They are, are, I mean, the Beatles are incredible. I love phenomena like that. It's like, you know, um, when you think about, okay, let's assume we get through this pandemic and the world resets itself and let's assume climate change gets sorted. And, you know, I think it's, it's an open question, but let's assume that the world is kind of here in a, in an interesting habitable form in 200 years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, people will still be talking about Shakespeare. They'll still be listening to Mozart, Beethoven, da, 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 da. Um, but, you know, of all the kind of cultural figures, of the period that we're living through, then it's really interesting sometimes to think, well, who are the ones who will be in that league, you know? Oh, yeah, no, it's interesting. And I think, I think it's the Beatles. I think the Beatles, I think maybe J.K. Rowling, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, but definitely the Beatles. Um, Were you a big Queen fan? Do you like Queen? I, I was, yeah, I was. And I, I do actually have, Queen. there's a lot of Queen on my playlist. Yeah, uh, not least not least I like to ride my bicycle. Um, <laughs> of course, yeah. and I thought the Queen, the recent Queen film, I thought was brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah, I was a Queen fan, and um, uh, yeah, I love all that that era. I, I just this there was so much good stuff, but I think that you know I do think the you know the Beatles will be one of those cultural phenomena that that that, that are with us, you know, for eternity. Like like yeah. Shakespeare and like Mozart. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as well, like sort of post COVID life, if there'll be this kind of like renaissance of uh, creative people. You know, whether it be theatre or you know, I mean, 
music, new Well, musicians. I mean, I do worry. One of the things I worry about in terms of the arts is just that, you know, they've been absolutely battered. And I think that, you know, it's a bit like football. The, the top ones will be okay, but a lot yeah. down below is going to be a real struggle to get back into it. Um, but listen, these these terrible periods in life, whether it's famine or pandemic or war or poverty or you know economic crisis, whatever, they do they do tend to you know part of the comeback tends to be a kind of you know a cultural response that we don't always predict. Mm-hmm. We've got no doubt there'll be a lot of good cultural stuff come out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you sound like you, you keep writing all the time. And obviously, you've got your, your books out, um, Living Better. But like, it sounds like you're writing your diaries. Do you, are you doing any sort of other form of writing as well? Or well, I do. I've done a lot. Of, I've actually done, you know, way more sort of journalist writing. Not journal, I mean, commentary, commentating in lockdown. I've written something for somebody virtually every day. Um, and I do my stuff for GQ, for the New European. Um, I do my blog sort of intermittently but yeah I, I, I find writing is it one of <laughs> sorry to keep plugging my books but you know might as well no do it this one winners right there's a line in there from Marilyn Monroe thinking ink she wrote a poem called thinking ink and that's what I do I think in ink yeah so if I'm thinking about um the reason that's there is because I've got a I've, I'm doing a speech next week and it's all about kind of strategy and strategic development stuff there's an awful lot in that book about that so you know and that's what I do I think you think brilliant yeah so with living better what was the sort of motivation to write that was it just kind of like going through your experience thinking you know you, you want to kind of share them was it or was it just um, being able to sort of bring it to the conversation for people to pick up and read it's, it I mean like, both of those things but I think yeah I, th- I find it very hard to answer the, the question, why do you... I've written 16 books, right, since I left mm-hmm. 10. Um, now, the diaries kind of take care of themselves. That was just, you know, they're yeah. there, so it's transcribing them, editing them, publishing them, and I'm, as I say, I'm on to volume eight now. Um, and then I've done four novels, and then that sort of book, the winner's book, and now this. So why I've done them at that time, I don't really know, but I, I, to give you a kind of factual answer... I did a TV documentary on my depression and there was so much stuff that we did in the research and the filming and that never made it just because it was like a one hour program, you know, cut, 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 cut. And so I just thought there's so much stuff there. I wonder if I could sort of, you know, redo it and repackage it into a book. And then I just thought, well, maybe I could do that and tell my own story in greater depth than before about my family background and mental illness in the family and, all that kind of thing, and then go into this sort of exploration of how we, different people and different societies and different cultures and different scientists and different hospitals, how different ways of dealing with depression. And it just kind of evolved into a book. Um, and in terms of what I want for it, I want people to, I want people who don't get depression to understand what it's like, because mm-hmm. uh, I think often they don't. I think I want people who... One of the best chapters in the book is Fiona, my partner, writing about what it's like living with me when I'm depressed. I want people who don't get depression but who know people who have depression to maybe zone in on that because I think she gives some really good insights into how to look after herself when I'm not well, as well as sort of looking out for me. And then the other thing I wanted to do is, in a sense, 
you know, it's part of this broader campaign to try and change the, the way we think about mental illness. It's all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Was there a point with your mental health that, that there's a really striking quote, I believe you said, it's like, um, I think you believe, I think, what well, I, I think I believe you said, um, you know, I've learned to live with my enemy with, with depression. Mm. Was, was there a point for you where you, well, when was it at your worst, like with your, with your depression? When was it? At well, my, my mental health was, point? when my mental health was at its worst was um, 86 when I had a psychotic breakdown. That was really bad. Um, and then my depression, it's hard to tell really, because I've had, I've had various periods when it's been intermittently really bad. Um, but a turning point, I think it was 2005 when I was, I was kind of, I was really bad then. It was, it, 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 the gaps between the depressions were getting narrower and narrower. And mm-hmm. It almost felt like it was just one long roll. So that, that was, that was pretty bad. Um, yeah, I'd say that was the worst. Round about. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, it, it's weird how the thoughts of like, with, with me, like I've been in this sort of muck of, of depression where it's just been awful and you're just kind of going week by week by week going through this depression month after month. And then suddenly the when it gets to a, a point where it, it, you start considering, is life worth living? Do I want to keep this kind of monstrosity of, of life going? And you're considering a kind of looking for a way out now. It, it's weird how that kind of just sneaks up because it, it doesn't feel like it it was a process for me it didn't feel like it was like a it just felt like i was dealing with depression for so long and suddenly this thought came in there's a way out should i do it or not mm. and it, it's it's weird how the thoughts of suicide can just come up so quickly just mm. just just those sort of you know there's not like a long process for i don't know what it's like for other people but my experience and i'm not an expert on mental health but you know you're experts of your own story yeah and yeah and for me it was just um it was just weird how these these suicidal thoughts were just sort. Of, it seemed like they came out of nowhere. I don't know what it was like for you. If you had, I've had, had I've had both. I've had I've had the. I'd say, if I had to, if I had to track them all, all the sort of different depressive episodes I've had, I've had both. But I'd say far more of the slow build up. Okay. Gen, just slowly feeling that I'm not quite right, and then getting worse, and then, and then very occasionally I've had what I call the kind of light switch. Mm. The light switch depressions where, you know, not always instant like that, but for example, when I wake up, I'm like, yeah. gone to bed feeling fine and I wake up and I'm just like, I'm just not quite there. And I know I've gone behind the eyes and, um, and I do find, I find this sort of suicidal ideation stuff. I find that, I find that happens when I've been feeling that like that for a bit. And then I'm sort of, and, I, and I'm also stressed. And I've also got maybe a few issues that I'm trying to resolve. Some of them will be, you know, I say in the book that I can I can lie awake at night and I can go from catastrophizing about climate change or Brexit being a disaster or Trump being awful or whatever. And all that's kind of, you know, really sort of weighing on me. And then suddenly my mind will switch to, oh, I've got a trip tomorrow. And I've got, I'm away for three nights, right? So I'm doing this with a, how many shirts, how many coat hangers, and that sort of stuff. I can go from those massive things to like really trivial stuff. Mm-hmm. But the intensity of them is, is just the same. Yeah. And that's when I'm, I'm, I call it sort of, I call it downward hill slalom rumination. 
<laughs> where I've just got to go. Quite the term. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I get that. I mean, does, does, is it? Do you, do you notice that it affects your your sleep or your eating? Because for me, it even feels like I'm either it's one extreme or the other with me. It feels like sometimes I'm like not sleeping at all because I'm just like in bed thinking like you know it could be trivial things like you said like that cloak hangers or whatever it is. Mm. And then sometimes I feel like I'm sleeping way too much. So it's, I don't know if you yeah, I've got both. Definitely, definitely. I, yeah. I, I, I that, that's when I, one of the, one of the one of the things I measure whether I'm kind of okay is whether it is my sleep or sleeping like you know getting to bed reasonably early. You know, not going to bed too late, sleeping straight through for you know a good number of hours. Then I'm I know that I'm better up here. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, one of the first things that goes for me is. Um, is sleep, uh, you know, not sleeping at night, um, and then maybe you know, <laughs> I might just be sitting here right and I suddenly lot off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other times, kind of can't wake up. Yeah. So yeah, sleep's sleep's big. I mean, then getting getting your sleep patterns right is so so important. No, absolutely. I mean it. We've tried to talk us so a bit more positive before we yeah. wind up. I mean, you thought you thought about um, writing anything about Burnley, like a Burnley a Burnley book. <laughs> uh, well, I did the novel with the Burnley player, and a lot of that is. I mean, it's it's fictional, but it's a lot of yeah. a lot of Burnleys in that. I wouldn't do no. The, you'd be amazed how many books about Burnley there already are. Oh really? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of them over there. Uh, Still here is by a guy called Dave Burnley who went to every... I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about him a lot because he's one of those guys who never, ever, ever, ever misses a game. Ever. Nice. Uh, since the, like, the 70s. Um, then there's one called The Clarets Chronicles, which is... <laughs> I've got them all over. There's loads of them. So, no, I don't think I would. No, I don't... I think there's people who can do that better than me. Yeah. I like to... So, you know, I like to... When I'm writing a book, it's like, you know... When, OK, loads of people could write a book about winners... Okay, but I can write a book about winners that incorporates being part of winning election campaigns, and I can get out and talk to people in sport and business, and you know I can. So, so that I like to think, I, you know, not many people could have written a book like that. And likewise yeah. with the depression book, I think right. Well, okay, lots of people can write a book about depression, but I can write a book about depression which mixes all the things that are in there and all the different, you know, so I like, whereas a book about Burnley, what would my book about Burnley be that somebody else couldn't do? Yeah, no, I get that, yeah. Have you, have you read um, some of Matt Haig's books? I mean, they've been brilliant, yeah, brilliantly written. Yeah, yeah ter- ter- I saw he was absolutely chuffed the other day because uh, Dolly Parton did one of those interviews and said, what are you reading at the moment? She said, Matt Haig's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, his books have been really helpful. Yeah, um, yeah re- really good. I mean, so in t- going back to Burnley, I suppose, other than St. James's Park, what is the best away ground that you've, <laughs> you've visited? Um, I really like Goodison. Goodison, okay. Yeah, I do like St. James's Park, actually, I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like showing off going up the steps of the away end, overtaking all the people younger than me who gathered <laughs> at Flight 23. Um, I, I really like Goodison. Um I'm not a massive fan of the kind of new build. Some of them are, some mm. of them are good. I, the, the Tottenham Stadium is really impressive. Yeah, no, I've um, been up in my business. Yeah, I, th- I, think if, I think if I was only allowed one away ground, I'd, I'd go for Goodison. Goodison, yeah. Because they, they've still got like the sort, there's a lot of history about that ground, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and like, it's still, nice, it's like nice... you, go, you go in and like, the away end is still like, you know, 
I can't remember. The, I don't think they've got the, uh, the clicking turnstiles. They might have, but but the, there's like a little program seller in a box inside, and it's and and it's all a bit higgledy piggledy. And yeah, I like I like Goodison. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a nice one. Yeah, yeah. Burnley's got a nice uh, vibe to it. I, yeah. think. I think it's something about those those kind of traditional old sort of football yeah. grounds. Here's, here's, a quiz, get... here's a quiz question for you: Which of the two? There's only two clubs that have never in the football league that. Of the, of the of the like the I'm not talking about the new clubs right have just come into the league but Agenham Red, Redbridge but of, the, of of all the other clubs right from going by way back only two have never moved ground which are they? That is a question. Uh, I, I mean, Notts County are they are they one no? Um, Everton one no? Burnley are they one? Burnley <laughs> Burnley's always Burnley, answered to my question yeah um, Bur- Burnley and I'm trying to figure out who else the other one might be um, same part of the world but not Blackburn I, I passed you got to tell me because Preston proud Preston no, I wouldn't have got that I wouldn't have got that here's another Preston. one for you which are the only two clubs that have won all four divisional titles these, these are really good ones. Four divisional. So is that what well, Premiership is that? No, right? like first no. division, first division, second division, third division, fourth division. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm going to guess Burnley's one. Right. <laughs> um, Burnley. Uh, no, Newcastle. No, I don't think Newcastle's one. Some of the older ones. Um, most, most of the big, most of the big clubs have never been down the bottom. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say. No, I'm trying. Nottingham Forest. No. No. No, not no. bad, not bad, not a bad guess. They're in the Premier League no. at the moment, doing quite well, in a very Portuguese well. kind of way. Oh, Wolf, Wolverhampton. Yeah. Yeah, Wolverhampton. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I've been there, that's, that's not a bad stadium, actually, Wolverhampton. I've been there a few times. I've been there, I give, but Burnley, Wolverhampton. Um, that's it? Was that, it was, I thought you said four, like two. Oh, two. Okay, the two, the two, mm. two that won's it. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, I mean, when Newcastle did go in the Championship, it it was kind of nice to go into some of the other experience in some of the other grounds for sure. I, I mean, went that to was the when, one when you away. when you were first um, down there was Keegan manager. No, we uh, well Ke- Keegan gate quick because he had the um, bust up with Mike Ashley. So we had Chris Hutton for the first. No, time. no, no, way back when you oh, way, you had, oh, way back your, okay. your away kit was. Oh yes, when we got promoted the first time, yeah, to into the Premier League, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was the manager yeah. then? I think it was key. Yeah. yeah, it was key. And I went to see um I went to see Newcastle at Brentford. I can't remember why, but I did. Um you were wearing yellow top and blue shorts, I think. And um God, your support that day was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, sometimes sometimes I've been I, I I feel like I've been in with the Geordies and I've like got four layers on and I'm freezing. I'm moaning to my mate, I'm bloody freezing. Then you see some couple in a couple of rows me, it's got his shirt off with his Newcastle tattoos, like doing this. I'm like, he's an absolute nutter. Like, how many brown ales has he had? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been great talking to you today, Alistair. I mean, right, what's, what what kind what's kind of been going on for you twenty twenty one? Well, apart from the German tour, we're going to be doing that, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> what 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 have you kind of got planned for the next year? I don't know. Really. I'm in a bit of a, a bit of a hiatus at the moment because I've got I've got to kind of decide. You know, I can do what I'm doing. I can bang away about politics, but in the end, uh, part of me thinks I'm banging my head against a brick wall. I'll carry on doing the stuff that I do abroad. Um, what I do here, I just don't know. Um, I've got another couple of books and a, and a couple of film projects in the pipeline. Uh, I mean, I've got enough to keep busy with, but I'm not. I'm not. 
honest answer is I'm not 100 percent sure at the moment. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm hibernating until the yeah, new year. We'll see, we'll see. Not hibernating, cogitating. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. You know. We'll see. I'm sure something something exciting is around the corner. But I'm looking forward to reading your new book, Living Better. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I can't wait. Good to know you're doing what um, doing okay. And yeah, can't wait to see what happens with you in the future. Cheers, right, man. Thank you. All the best. Take care. Bye bye. So there you go, guys. A wonderful chat there, Alistair Campbell. I hope he gets to go and uh, visit Germany soon and have a few of those German beers down the German markets that uh, we all know and love. Um, but yeah, I want to thank Alistair for opening up and sharing some of his stuff with us. And um, yeah, and just you know, um, giving us his time to come on the show. Uh, but thanks, guys, for tuning in. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at Shapes of Stories. Be sure to follow me on Twitter also at LPrestige7. You can follow me on Instagram at Prestige Books. And you can also follow us on our Facebook pages at Lawrence Prestige and at the Shapes of Stories. But um, thanks for tuning in, guys, and I'll see you next time.